Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. If you read the the end of John Gridley's prayer bill, he doesn't thank God, as it were, for being out of harm's way or for not being enlisted anymore. He gives thanks that he has been returned to his friends again. So that, again, speaks to the importance of these relationships in this community that he felt with his Medfield church. That's historian Roberto Oscar Flores de Apodaca talking about the role of God and prayer in the life of a Continental soldier. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Museum of the American Revolution, exploring the ideas, events, and legacies of America's revolutionary beginnings. Plan your visit today. For more information, visit www.amrevmuseum.org. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today, our guest is Roberto Oscar Flores de Apodaca, and he'll be talking about his experience writing about and researching a prayer bill from Colonial Massachusetts. And while we do talk at length about the subject of the prayer bill, a man named John Gridley, he participated in the Quebec campaign under Benedict Arnold. At the core of the interview is the basic fundamental question, and quite frankly one that's not asked enough, what was the role of God in the life of a continental soldier? Not what role did religion play in a person's life, I think that's a very general question, but very specifically, how did a relationship with the Lord, uh, drive an American patriot soldier? What did that mean to them? How did that uh, push them through difficult times? And how did that shape the way they remembered their service? It's a subject that doesn't get a lot of attention, and there's a few reasons for that. But as we'll see today in our interview, it's one that has a lot of stones that need to be turned still. So with that in mind, in this season of Thanksgiving, sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Roberto Oscar Flores de Apodaca. Roberto Oscar Flores de Apodaca, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here, and uh, thank you to all your audience and to the Journal of the American Revolution. You guys are doing some great work. Happy to be a part of it. Tell us about your background. Well, I'm a graduate student. I was born and raised in Southern California. I came to the University of South Carolina to uh, get my PhD in history, and I've been doing that. I'm now a fourth year, and I just received candidacy, which means I finished all my classes and all my exams. And so now I'm just writing the dissertation and doing related research. What first drew your interest into this topic? Well, when I came to grad school, I had a strong interest in American religious history. 
And I started discussing that with my advisor, who's kind of an expert in the American Revolution, and particularly the battles and the military side of the revolution. And I started reading about a lot of books that talk about how religion and the American Revolution intersected and how one influenced the other. And there's a tremendous amount of good scholarship on how ministers behaved during the revolution, what sermons they preached, what were their favorite topics, how they interacted with the populace. There's also a number of books on church affiliation and denominational struggles. Um, You know, there was a lot of popular resistance to an Anglican church being established in the New World or an archbishop being established. And so there's a lot of religion in the American Revolution in, in those aspects, but there's nothing about the religious lives of the ordinary soldiers who fought. And so I was very interested in that. And there have been books on the religious lives of soldiers in the Civil War and even in World War I, but no one had done any work on the religious lives of soldiers during the Revolutionary War. So I became very interested in that and started reading soldiers' journals and letters, and lo and behold, they had a lot to say about their particular religious lives and practices and beliefs, and it has turned into a fruitful topic. For those listening, what was a prayer bill and how was it used in the 18th century? So a prayer bill was a time-honored tradition in New England. They were little slips of paper that church members and ordinary people would write prayer requests on, and then they'd give those to their local minister, or they'd tack them on a church door, or they'd put them in a little box, and then the community would gather and they would pray over those prayer bills, and it would be a means of communal support when a particular family was going through a difficult time or needed anything. And it was a way for the community to make each other aware of their needs and to support each other spiritually um, through prayer and uh, whatever other means they had to. And these go back a long time in New England and they were all over the place. So even in John Winthrop's journal in the 1640s, he mentions a bunch of prayer bills floating around, but not very many have uh, lasted. A lot of them have been lost, and so we only have a few manuscript prayer bills still in existence, which makes them a very rare and interesting source. I imagine in your research you've looked at a lot of these. To you, what made John Gridley's prayer bill unique? Yeah, so John Gridley's prayer bill was unique and stood out to me because it was clearly written by a soldier who fought in battle. And it's very vague. He doesn't mention what battle he was in, what his time of service was, but he mentions that he served and he mentions that he was in captivity. And it was clearly the time frame was around the Revolutionary War. So I was very interested in sort of the background of what caused him, this soldier, to go and write this somewhat cryptic prayer bill of thanksgiving to his church. And so I started looking into the details behind it to see if I could figure out um, why why he had done it. Because a lot of these prayer bills, there's actually a great article on prayer bill writing done by uh, Douglas Winiarski in, in 2012 called the Newber- Newberry Prayer prayer bill hoax, and he analyzes 189 of these prayer bills, but only about 10, we only have about 10 prayer bills from soldiers. So it really caught my attention in that regard. 
and I tried to went to work to see if I could piece together anything about John Gridley and his prayer bill. Who was John Gridley, and what do we know about his early life? Well, we know he was born in Roxbury, 1754. Uh, We don't know his profession. We don't know much about his parents. His family is unknown. Uh, We do know that he enlisted by the time the war started, but we don't know a tremendous amount of his motivations, his economic circumstances when he got married, when he uh, joined the army, excuse me. We do know he got married in 1780, but beyond that, his personal life is, is pretty difficult to find. He doesn't, he doesn't appear on any tax records or uh, voting records or marriage records or anything like that, or the standard genealogies don't have him as well. So his, his early life is kind of a mystery, which adds to the mystery of his, of his prayer bill. Could you talk about his capture and captivity? Yeah, we found, I found a pension record submitted by his wife, Anna Gridley. And I can talk a little bit about pension records later on if you'd like. But his wife submitted a pension record to collect on his time of military service. And in that pension record was a long statement written by John Gridley himself in 1818 after the war, in which he fills in all of the details of his military service. And in his pension record that he submitted, there was no prayer bill. So apparently he and his wife had forgotten that this little prayer bill had even existed, but the pension records were able to fill in the background of his military service, which is how I was able to contextualize the prayer bill and then produce the article on the, uh, on the website. So Gridley, he enlisted in 1775 in Cambridge and he was late for Lexington and Concord. So he did not see any battle in Lexington and Concord. He did see that uh, he was involved in the battle, battle of Bunker Hill, although we don't know exactly all the circumstances of that. And then after Bunker Hill, he volunteered to go on the siege to Quebec, which was quite a harrowing act. He was quite a brave soldier because that was a winter siege and uh, Quebec in the winter is not a very hospitable place. So he went under Colonel Benedict Arnold up to Quebec. It was about a 50 day March and he documents in his little deposition from 1818 about how his bateau was destroyed, how he had to walk alongside the river Uh, His clothes had been tattered and torn, and he talks about how they often encountered wild beasts and hunger and a number of other hardships that are well documented by other soldiers who also did the siege to Quebec. And then when they got there on December 31st, they, uh, they attacked Quebec, which was guarded by British General Carleton. And almost immediately at the start of the siege, a bullet ricocheted and hit Benedict Arnold in the left leg, and it ruptured his left Achilles tendon, which caused him to bleed a tremendous amount. He became, uh, his life was threatened. He was no longer a factor in the war, in the battle. And then soon after that, the troops were demoralized and were pushed back by the British and started to retreat. But John Gridley and a couple other hundred soldiers were actually captured by the British and were taken into prison in, in up in Quebec on January 1st, and John Gridley actually wrote a little funny note that he and these other troops were given to Carlton as a New Year's gift, and they were taken to prison, 
and kept there for the next nine months. What happens to Gridley after he's released? Yeah, so I should mention actually one incident that he talks about uh, when he's in captivity is he and his fellow, he talks about how he and his fellow troops try and escape. And to my knowledge, this particular escape attempt is not documented by other soldiers. So apparently there was, those who were in prison knew that there were other soldiers stationed about a mile or two away from where they were. And so they were trying to send letters to sneak them past the British guard and get them to those other troops to come into the prison, which wasn't very well guarded. There weren't many British troops there. Uh, try and get them to stage an uprising and break out all the Patriot soldiers. But apparently what happened was after they had written the letter and sent it, it was intercepted because one of the fellow prisoners tipped off one of the guards and told them, hey, they're sending letters. The guards figured out that they were planning on escaping, and they promptly uh, took all of the prisoners, Gridley included, and chained them one to another by handcuffs. So their condition got all the more difficult. And after that, Gridley doesn't give us many details, but we can imagine enduring a winter in Quebec in a British prison would have been extremely difficult. So in September of 76, the British paroled these few hundred soldiers who were captured in Quebec. They brought them back down to New York and let them go uh, not free, but on parole. And we don't know many details after that, except we know that one of the first things Gridley did was return to his church in Medfield. And when he returned to the church after this grueling nearly year ordeal of the trek up to Quebec, fighting at Quebec, and then being in prison, one of the first things he decides to do is go to his church community and submit along with his relations, we're not exactly sure who he's referring to there, a prayer bill, and I can actually read the text of the prayer bill. It says, John Gridley and his relations desires to bless God for his goodness to him in returning from captivity to his friends again. So there, now that we have all the context from the deposition and the pension record, we can understand that the captivity he refers to in this prayer bill was his time in Quebec. And the, one of the first things he does when he gets back is to submit a prayer bill of thanksgiving to his church community. Do we have any indication how his prayer bill was received by his larger church community? Yeah, so we do know a little bit about how it was received because there are other prayer bills from that same church that are submitted by families who had soldiers returned, some in the same captivity, but some in other contexts as well. And these other prayer bills likewise give thanks to God for the return of their relatives. Um, There was clearly a gathering of the community that felt that their prayers had been answered and their loved ones being returned to them after the grueling war. And we don't know the particulars about John Gridley's family, but it's pretty clear that the community gathered to hold some sort of celebration and uh, act of thanksgiving upon his return that produced all of these, all of these prayer bills. And, and he also, he and the other soldiers in Quebec also received a number of benefits from the Medfield provincial government. 
uh, like tax breaks and things like that. As a historian, you have this interesting source and you have a subject without a lot of information to work with. Uh, how do you go about researching a person's life like John Gridley? Sure. So the route that I took was to first look at military records. It was very clear that, he, like I said, he was a soldier. So the first, your first line of attack, so to speak, would be look at muster rolls, look at town histories, which often record a lot of things that are no longer available that have disappeared in their manuscript form, and look at uh, pension records. Um, so the military records did start to show a John Gridley who left Medfield and went to Quebec. And so I figured, okay, this is him. Uh, prayer bill submitted in Medfield, and there was a John Gridley from Medfield who went on the siege to Quebec, and I put two and two together. And then the final step was looking through the pension application records, which is uh, kind of a roll of the dice. Not all soldiers submitted one or even got one. But he had a pension record, and it was extremely well documented. And it was actually not submitted by John Gridley, but by his wife, who by 1843 was 77 years old. Her husband had died a couple decades earlier, and she, under the, the most recent pension laws, was now applicable to, was now eligible to receive the pension benefits of her husband. And so she, the process would be to submit all the documentation that you could that proved that your husband had served in the war. And so along with a, a handful of other documents that Anna Gridley submitted was that this deposition written by John Gridley in 1818 about his service in the war. And so from that, I was able to fill in all his military details. We see a lot of wonderful sources studied on the Journal of the American Revolution website. This one is unique. It stands out. Uh, what do you think something as as minor as a prayer bill could reveal to us about the nature of the American revolutionary period? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one thing it reveals is very clearly is how these soldiers saw God working for them during the war, how religion functioned for them. There have been, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of conclusions about how religion inspired a sort of millennial patriotic cause that sought to usher in an empire of liberty and was the fulfillment of biblical prophecy in all sorts of grandiose geopolitical ways. But I really think prayer bills from ordinary soldiers like John Gridley show that they didn't view religion. Religion didn't function for them during the war in quite such grandiose terms. I think rather they saw religion as a way of providing for their ordinary needs, for their safety in the midst of difficult circumstances. I also think it reveals how soldiers viewed themselves as part of a community, part of a church community. I was really struck that one of the first things he would have done when he got back was to be, was to submit such a prayer bill. I mean, he's already back, you know, why, why does he have to go and submit a prayer bill? You might, it might be more understandable if while he was in prison, he was asking for prayer, but since he gets back, um, and now, you know, he's all safe and sound. One of the first things he does is want to celebrate with his church community. And so I think that's really powerful about how these soldiers viewed communities, uh, how they viewed their churches, and how they viewed really um, the end of the war. If you read the, the end of John Gridley's prayer bill, he doesn't 
thank God, as it were, for being out of harm's way or for not being enlisted anymore. He gives thanks that he has been returned to his friends again. So that, again, speaks to the importance of these relationships in this community that he felt with his Medfield church. And I think that's really significant for understanding how religion functioned for these soldiers. And I think it kind of complicates a lot of the narrative about the relationship between religion and the Revolutionary War. Roberto Oscar Flores de Apodaca, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was uh, a lot of fun. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.